You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com, and we are the children of the 80s. Review. We're here for a special movie review, a Valentine's Day special, and also a listener, a listener poll winner, Overboard. And as a special treat, we, at least two of the children of the 80s, the two that have significant others, are bringing their significant others to uh, come in and help us with uh, the Valentine's Review. I'm Matt. And I'm Patrick. And this is my wife. Kristen. Hey, Kristen. Nice that you forgot my name almost. Hi! <laughs> Not even a little bit. And this is my wife, Lacey. Hello. Hi, Lacey. Hi, Matt. Hi, Lacey and Patrick. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> and now we'll step out and we'll let the girls talk about the movie for a little <laughs> yeah. while. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming in and being willing to be on our podcast. You guys don't listen, so... The only way to. I have two. That's such a lie. I listened to one. You listened to part of one. (laughs) Anyhow, we're bringing in our our wives to uh, to help us with this love story question mark. (laughs) This Valentine's Day special. Again, you put the M in Valentine's Day. Sorry, Valentine's got an N in it. (laughs) This is going to be fun. I can already tell. (laughs) Yeah. But before we get into our review, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Hank's Donut World in Goober, Idaho. Favorite restaurants of short, fat sluts. Oh, all right. So uh, just so our listeners are aware, this is, uh, well, I guess take two of our review of of Overboard. What, What happened before, Patrick? Well, we had new equipment, and we didn't know how to use it right, apparently, so... That's what she said. Yeah. So, and we wanted our beloveds to be sound so so well on the recording that we're we're recording this again. So, if we sound a little stale or sound like we've had this argument many times, we have. I think they just love doing it with us so much, and by doing it, I mean the podcast. Yeah. Obviously, it's the podcast. Wanted to do it again. Yes, you're much more giving talkers than Jason and Greg. <laughs> All right, well, here's the story that's told in Overboard. Somebody call for a carpenter? That's my wife's department. Mrs. Grant Staten III. Grant, I'm on the phone! Always knew what she wanted. I'm not paying for your mistake. And she always got it. You haven't got a single thing on this earth to do except for your hair. She had power. Taste. Oh, what is this gelatinous muck? Style. Are you going to bring me my lemon or do I have to squeeze it from my hat? And amnesia. Seems a mystery woman was picked up by the Elk Cove garbage cow shortly after midnight. Excuse me, miss. Can you tell me your name? Of course I know my name. It's... Joanna is a rich, frigid bitch in a loveless marriage. 
She embodies the old adage that money doesn't buy happiness because she has a ton of money and everything it'll buy. Jewelry, yachts, and even a talking ape for a butler. All this notwithstanding, she is an, she is a miserable shrew. While docked in a little town, she hires a white trash carpenter, Dean Prophet, played by R.J. McReady, to help her build a custom closet in her yacht. Unhappy with the wood use, she stiffs him on the bill and pushes him and his tools overboard and sets sail. Learning that Karma is in fact a bigger bitch than herself, Joanna is herself pitched overboard. She's fished out of the sea by a Portuguese fisherman who mistakes her for a fucka, or a seal. She has complete amnesia. Well, almost complete amnesia because she still remembers how to act like an absolute bitch. Her husband learns that she and her memory are gone and takes to the sea to party like a rock star, leaving his wife. McReady learns that the woman that stiffed him is in town with amnesia. He then plots to make the screwer the screwee by making her his pretend wife and pretend mother to four unruly boys, thus exacting revenge and payback for his work on the closet and his ruined tools. Now, let me explain this to all those out there. If you come across a woman with amnesia, don't follow the example of charming Dean Prophet. This is a very serious crime and not the first one he'll commit, as we will soon see. Anyway, he calls her Annie and makes her his rich, hot, white slave. She cleans, cooks, and takes care of the boys. He creates a backstory of her life explaining that she grew up a short, fat, white trash slut. Is there really any other kind? A good chunk of the film is basically one big montage of Annie performing her motherly duties, thus becoming bonded to the kids and settling into her new role as stay-at-home mom. Seeing her affection for his kids, Dean starts to fall for her and the two wind up doing the dirty and Dean adds rape to the list of felonies he's committed on Joanna. There's an old saying that you can't rape the willing, but that's not entirely true when the person is willing based on fraud. This false relationship becomes somewhat genuine as Joanna bonds with Dean and learns that he is a hard-working entrepreneur who's willing to shovel shit and fish guts in order to realize his dream of creating a miniature golf course. With fake wife's help, Dean is able to realize this dream and creates the Wonders of the World Miniature Golf Course. Just as they are about to live happily ever after, with Joanna being a kind, long-suffering superwife and supermom, and Dean as a kind, successful, white trash dad, Joanna's husband comes to retrieve her because Joanna's mother, Mona from Who's the Boss, has been demanding to talk to her. Upon seeing her husband, Annie slash Joanna's memory is immediately restored. She realizes who she's been living with and sleeping with, and immediately takes back to the sea and her old life while what she thought was her children call after her. Once back to her old life, she realizes what all uppity white chicks that go slumming eventually realize. Beer is awesome, and poor guys really know how to give it to them. She decides she's in love with her rapist and his spawn, and wants to be a wife and a mother in a small town. Meanwhile, Dean and the kids have convinced the Coast Guard to take them to the yacht to retrieve Joanna. Apparently, he assumes she will quickly forgive him and return. And apparently, he's right. They jump in the ocean for a needless attempt at a culminating romantic scene. The movie ends with the revelation that all the rich stuff is hers, and Dean's con has led him to the ultimate score, a pile of cash and a hot piece of ass. With all their dreams realized, Joanna realizes the only thing she wants is another kid. How sweet. They live happily ever after. And how do we know this? Because Randy Newman is singing in the background. The moral of our little tale? If a chick is an uppity rich bitch, you can put her in her place by kidnapping her, raping her, and making her a stay-at-home mom. 
Once she realizes that she loves being a mom and has no aspirations beyond that, she will settle down and become a charming, kind lady. Thanks, Hollywood. The end. That is essentially this romantic tale overboard. So when did this this <laughs> this gem of a romantic comedy come out? Overboard was released on December 18th of 1987. It was it was theoretically one of the big Christmas movies that year. Uh, it was released the same day as Batteries Not Included, Eddie Murphy Raw, Leonard Part 6, Moonstruck, and Bro- Broadcast News. So out with a lot of films that ultimately went on to win or nominated for Oscars. Not Leonard Part 6. Leonard but. Part 6, <laughs> the Oscar. And it was uh, released the same time as Good Morning Vietnam, Wall Street, and Throw Mama from the Train. It grossed just under $27 million, so it was the 45th highest grossing film of the year, right behind Revenge of the Nerds 2, Harry and the Hendersons, and Police Academy 4, uh, right in front of Baby Boom, Inner Space, and Tin Man, which are all three better films than the three that were in front of it. So, uh, I hate to admit this, I actually saw Leonard Part 6 in the, uh, in the theater. Well, wasn't that when you were living in a small town in New Mexico and had very little options for entertainment? I was. Every weekend, Saturday and Friday and Saturday, we were at least at one movie every day. And I also just watched Interspace last night. Surprisingly good. A uh, little context as to what, what else was going around in uh, 1987. The Fox, the Fox television station debuts and uh, The Simpsons is first seen on TV. So if you remember that as a kid that's kind of what was going on in 1987 well let's talk a little bit about this uh story why why Kristen is it one of your favorites oh i don't know because oh that's a very funny. compelling argument <laughs> okay i'll tell you i love goldie hahn and kurt russell they're one of my favorite hollywood couples um i think it's a funny story it's it's cute for i think kids and adults not men maybe but you know women <laughs> And I like how... So not intelligent people is what you're saying. <laughs> hey, hey. Oh, send your hate mail to Patrick at lunchtimemovie.com. I'm just going to punch you. I'm not going to send you any mail. I'm just I don't know. I kind of like that they make... I guess it's... I like that they make the man kind of... In the movie, he's kind of retarded without his wife. Oh, I shouldn't say retarded. You can say no, retarded. No, by, by retarded, you mean he can do anything. No, I mean... What? <laughs> He can't, he's like a failure at everything. He's very handicapable. Until he has a lady. (laughs) So I kind of like that. Okay. (laughs) And then in the end, she, yeah, I mean, it's a love story. I love all love stories. I'm cheesy. All right. (laughs) I don't know how to respond to that, but I'll try. You do bring up one, I think, a thing that's something that I agree with, and that's, uh, I think Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell obviously have really, really good chemistry. That's the only thing you agreed with. <laughs> in all my rambling. That's, uh, that's the most compelling thing. is Because I, I also really like uh, Kurt Russell and uh, Goldie Hawn in, in most of what they do, but them together, they do have really good chemistry, so I think they are uh, they are pretty good in this. What, what else have they done prior to 1987? Well, in the 80s, Goldie Hawn was on a hot streak. I mean, she had done Private Benjamin, Swing Shift, Protocol, Wildcats, um, uh, leading up to this film. And Kurt Russell had been in The Thing, Escape from New York, The Mean Season. Uh, he had just done Best of Times in Big Trouble in Little China just the year before this. Um, interesting enough, though, that 
this film was so critically panned and did so poorly at the box office that Goldie Hawn didn't do another romantic comedy again until Bird on a Wire a few years later with Mel Gibson. But she was, at, to this point, she'd been pretty much popping out of the film every year through the all through the 80s up until this point. Now, I was... You say it was it was panned critically, but I was looking on either Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb, I forget which one, and, and the critics hate it. I think it was Rotten Tomatoes. The critics hate it, but the... But the fans, it's pretty high as far as I think it was a seventy on Rotten Tomatoes under the under the fans. Even fans can be wrong. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they were both in football movies just uh, just a year before this Wildcats and uh, Best of Times. Um, but I yeah, will, I will say my whole family we we grew up watching this all the time, and my kids even think this movie's hilarious. And most eighties movies they don't like. But what do okay. they? What do they like of eighties movies? Which what do they like? Yeah, we the, loved yeah, Back to the Future. Okay, good and movie. And then Goonies. Okay, we like that one. Uh huh. Two That's out of three ain't saying. bad. This okay. is one of the good ones. What, what do they like about this movie? It's funny. They think it's funny. Mm-hmm. Do, now, do they like the kids? I mean, because that's something that I remember. I remember the liking. Kids were funny. Yeah, I remember liking this when I was in the eighties. And one was because Goldie Hawn was just a staple of 80s films. Like she was always in these kind of, you know, very forgettable romantic comedies that they kind of blur together. Um, either, but she's very likable. No, she's very likable as an actress. I don't have a problem with her. Um, and I don't even have a problem with her in this film other than she kind of plays against type trying to play the bitch. But one of the things I did remember liking about this film when I was a kid was the kids in it, that they had this kid aspect that appealed more to me. So, you know, I, oh, sorry. They... It's mostly how funny she is and the kids and her with, like, responding to taking care of the kids. Like, her, and, like, the Ada Bug part is funny to them. The, her expressions, you know, she, yeah, so it's mostly her and the kids. Kurt Russell really doesn't really add much. I don't, I mean, I, as much as I like him, I think her and the kids make the show. And I actually really like the kids. I think they're funny. I know we were talking about this film that, Amongst uh, like Jason and Greg, and and Jason hates the kid that does the Pee Wee Herman stuff, but I like it because it it dates it somewhat. But yeah. I mean, that was really popular back then. So yeah, I thought that- but I think that's a bad thing that it's so dated now with the Pee Wee Herman stuff that's so over, you know, I mean, over and done with. Yeah, Pee Wee Herman. I mean, it's talking about dating and whether it stands the test of time. I that humor doesn't mm-hmm. translate necessarily to an audience today. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time he was big. <laughs> I mean, that's just funny to them. So, yeah, that doesn't date back. But I think, I mean, as far as, yeah, it's still funny. I can see how it would be annoying, especially by Jason. He doesn't really like kids. (laughs) 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 Well, now, my problem with it and watching it as as an adult, and I do remember loving it uh, as a a kid uh, after it came out. I mean, it was... It was one we watched a lot. I mean, it was on cable. Um, we had the, uh, you know, VHS of it, and we watched it a lot. Yeah, it was on the HBO loop. I remember seeing it constantly on HBO. Yeah, but in watching it back, the story was a little, I don't know, off-putting. The whole uh, kidnapping, fraud aspect of it seems really, really nefarious now as adult. It's fiction. Yeah, I... I <laughs> I, I get it, but it but it 
I just found it off-putting initially, that part of it. And also um, the fact that she just turns on a dime uh, by being in this horrible environment and being treated like a slave. And that's what causes her to be really, really kind and long-suffering. And she becomes she becomes a very charming, kind woman, whereas before she was an absolute shrew. But they... But that's... She's learning to... As time goes by in the movie, she's, you can see she's learning to put up with her crappy life. Like, well, I accepted this. I might as well just be happy with it. Because she doesn't remember anything. She thinks she chose this life. So... I think you can, you kind of, that's I think why she kind of is a great character in this. Is she kind of makes you believe that it sucks at the beginning, and then she's like, well, this is what I chose, I might as well make the best of it. At the beginning of the movie, you, you hate her, and like, to be honest, the kidnapping to me, I'm like, well, she gets what she deserves. She was a bitch. <laughs> she, oh, she, she got, she, she had it coming? It. Like I said, this is fiction. I wouldn't say that to anybody, but I mean, the, it's funny in the movie, because you're like, she was such a bitch, and then at the end, you really, she's, I mean, you know, you end up loving her, well, me, I end up loving her at the end. So, because she wore the very scantily clad bathing suit at the beginning of the film, she deserved the rape that she eventually got later in the film? And not buying the rape. No. I, that's ridiculous. Not rape. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, well, okay, well, Lacey, let me ask you why you say... You don't buy the rape either. Why? Yeah. Why don't you buy that as a rape? Because I, because I do want to talk about that scene. It's, because it's, she, I think, con- she consented to the sex itself under you know, false pretenses. She under thought false no, pretenses. she she thought she was his wife. So what? You can rape your wife, you know? No, just you can yes, under the law. Can. You can. Yes, you can. Look <laughs> it up. Yes, you can. They changed that law. Could, could we get that in writing, please, Lacey? I think that would. <laughs> She was falling in love with them, so whether yeah, she, she, exactly. she had amnesia, oh well. Amnesia people can still fall in love with people. You can still consent to have sex. No, mm-hmm. I, without a doubt you consent to have sex, but in this particular case, she was falling in love with a man she believed to be her husband, and possibly the bright spot in the life that was a pretty dismal life that he you know, defrauded her into believing was hers. You know, it, husband or not, that doesn't matter to me, because you don't have to be married to have sex. She was falling in love with them, so she had sex. Right, but the entire thing was under false pretenses, and it was a fraud. But that it was wasn't. Going on. Did he? I mean, I don't remember any time in the movie he said you have to have sex with me because you're my wife, right? Yeah, she, I mean, she agreed to do it, and regardless of whether they were married or not. Yeah, I agree, Lace. Yeah, was, I mean, not like he was kind. Okay, he kidnapped her, but he he never he never came across like that way. Of just. Like sexually in control at all? No, no, no. So. He, he was a very nice rapist. He was. You know. <laughs> and and the fact that he can make two women, or the the story can make two women, uh, say, "Oh yeah, this isn't rape," tells me how effective he was at doing it. Well, it's interesting because Lacey was doing some research, and that's uh, that's actually did. correct. Lacey did some research, and she yes. pulled up an article <laughs> off www.partialobjects.com. And Lacey, read the last paragraph. The last of the, paragraph of the article. I had Hold it a up. second. It says, even though I'm talking about a film from 25 years ago, I think the question is relevant. The question being, the question being whether that scene was a rape scene, because it serves as an example of the kinds of narratives that Gen Xers were exposed to in their teen years and may not have completely sloughed off. See also, this is in parentheses. See also, Animal House, Sixteen Candles, Weird Science, etc. 
This foundation of pop culture stories and images might help to explain the difficulty feminists have in constructing workable narratives today about nonviolent rape that are accepted by the general public. If sex under false pretenses is only a way to dissemble about rape and the media the media more generation ago treated this gray area as the basis of countless gags and jokes, something the characters who fell prey to it never treated seriously. How do you make the culture consider them serious? That's the last paragraph from the no. Booyaka shot. <laughs> <laughs> My point is made. <laughs> Why? Because some, oh, some, some Yahoo on the internet agrees with you and makes your point. <laughs> I no, sure can't. That Yahoo on the internet you know, and Matt. I could go on the internet. I could go on the internet and say that men are all evil and we should kill them all. Does that make it no. valid? Yeah. And, and when you go to that site, I guarantee you those those Nazi feminists are also going to say that this was rape. Well, then I'm sad to admit I must like rape on movies. I know. We like- I didn't think. I mean, I, I thought it was fine. One We're of your other favorite romance films was The Accused. <laughs> We're big oh, fans stop. of rape here. Leaving Las Vegas. Would I want that to happen to me? No, because then when I found out, I'd feel guilty. Like when Matt would come and pick me up, even though he left me. You know what I mean? Like either. I would never leave you if you had that much money, babe. Oh, my gosh. Or a cute ass like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but she wasn't giving it up. Still, either, I mean, the whole thing, her her husband in the movie was just a jerk, so she might as well have sex with this guy that she's falling in love with. I don't want to belabor the point too much, but to me, that particular scene, more than any other, was just unnecessary, and it was so off-putting that he would even go forward and having having sex with her, even though you say, okay, she she was falling in love with him, she was uh, she was willing at the time that the, that they even put that in there. It would have been a much more effective uh, storytelling tool if he doesn't do it, and he doesn't do it because he's cognizant of the fact and he's guilty of the fact that she doesn't know the the truth and he's really guilty of it. And if they would have just done the one thing, it would have made. Uh, the best him, movie ever. It would have made him more likable, and it would have made the story uh, a, a lot more, I guess, palatable. I agree. I, I agree. I agree. But both of you know you would have hit that. You know you would have. <laughs> oh yeah. You know oh, you yeah. would have. You stand here and, judging and, and for Russell, you, and you would have hit that. And you're referring to Matt. Don't people even talk like that anymore. <laughs> talk like what? We're the children of the '80s. Remember? <laughs> I would have hit that. You totally. You totally would have. Anything else about the story? It's so. Far fetched. I mean, every you know, every step of the way. I, I know from our previous attempt at recording this, Kristen's got a response already. But the idea that it, you know, okay, this is how I'm going to get my money back by you know fooling this woman into being my basically white sex slave at home for Did a period of time. Did you say white sex slave? White sex slave. Yes. Why does it matter if she's white? What if she were Mexican? A Mexican sex slave? But anyways, it just it's so far fetched that you know even now watching it. You know, and and not and I'm not a child anymore. It's like I like Kurt Russell, but everything he does in this film bothers me. It's like why would you go around this way of doing it? You know, you're going to lie to this woman. You're going to, you know, eventually he sleeps with her. Which I agree with Matt. If that hadn't been taken out of the film, it would have been a much better story because then there's no sexual element at all. That there's an audience that's not going to go. Oh, I don't feel comfortable with that. And the the fact that he's you know, just fooling this woman to get what his, you know, his two days worth of work and his toolbox replaced. You know what? She, she's she's doing much more than that. Yeah, he uses her toolbox in order to re- <laughs> repay his toolbox. Oh my God! No, but he he is this. There are 
a lot of uh, misogyny and you know misogynistic undertones throughout this film not just in the rape scene and not just in the in the fraud scene but even his backstory he is so uh well what's the word he is um he humiliates her and he degrades her in talking about how she was just a dirty slut you know she 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 was fat i mean she's he's constantly belittling her and in a way belittling women by doing that. I mean, that's really degrading. And so he is a scumbag, um, albeit a charming one, throughout the film when he does that. There's no need to do that. There's no need to, to build in this. It just shows how much he hated her. He hated her. That's why I did this. She wasn't very right, nice Which to makes him, him an asshole. Well, she was an <laughs> asshole, too. So she was an asshole, too. I think the whole movie, they paint him as he's kind of a... It's like he's kind of this white trash loser, and he can't make it on his own anyway. So, yeah, he does this. He hates her. She comes and fixes their life, and then they live happily ever after. So Matt Summary is correct that, you know, all rich women want is to drink beer and get be done by a poor white man? That's all I would want if I were rich. Me too, Lacey. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> That's all I want now when I'm not rich. No, I'm <laughs> Take another sip of your beer there, baby. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. Uh, well, I do want to talk about one other part of the story, and it is related to feminism and kind of what we've been talking about so far, but kind of this idea of a woman really isn't happy unless she's a stay-at-home mom taking care of kids and taking care of a litter of kids. She's got four, and the only thing she wants is another one. What do, what do you guys think about that? That's too many kids. <laughs> I'm having trouble with one. So. You had a response to this when we recorded initially, Kristen. Well, I don't think it portrays that, or like, looks down on women at all. I think it builds women up in that we're needed, and whether we choose to stay home and be a mom or work. In fact, we, she was the person that came in and was the one that ended up taking over. Oh, staff. sorry, Matt has to tell me. I, I'm sorry, is Matt telling you what to say right now? Yeah. That's very empowering, Kristen. I think I already said that. The point is, she she ends up coming in. His his home is falling apart. His kids are doing terrible in school. His house looks like crap. And she comes in, and by the end of the movie, everyone's better. The kids are polite. Um, their their house is clean. The kids are doing better in school. Um, Dean has this great you know new golf course, and it's all really because of the woman. So you think this is actually more empowering than anything else, and does she becomes the focal point in the life and becomes the, uh, I guess, the catalyst for everything that's successful in this family? Yeah, I think so. So it's really anti-man. It's kind of the cliche '80s night guy is the schlub and the woman's the smart one. Yes. And I like it that way. <laughs> well, I would agree that she she, she is the catalyst that brings success to him or to Kurt Russell and his family ultimately in this film but she has to accept her it, it seems very strange she has to accept her role as homemaker in this film which obviously because of her money and her wealth that she has the ability to do a lot of different things and I, I thought it was interesting that the one thing she wanted at the end was uh, was a, a, a gr- little girl that that's how that's what's going to bring her total satisfaction in life is she's got the man she loves now and she's got the money, and all she wants is a little girl. Because at some point, all women just want to be sperm banks. Oh, 
I took that from The Shining. We just watched The Shining. That's in The Shining. The empowering part is about her being able to make choices. Because if she chooses to be that she wants that life that she where she's a stay-at-home mom and she's um, raising kids, and even though she has other options, then that shows that she has, you know, power and... Right. Why, and why couldn't she make decisions to get rid of Grant when she was rich? I mean, it is her money. There's nothing keeping her there. Why didn't she have this ability to make choices when she was rich? She was well, she didn't. She didn't find the right penis yet. I mean, the right carpenter yet, Matt. No, someone that bitchy was probably miserable her whole life. She didn't know she was miserable with him. She's just miserable. Yeah. Money makes people so unhappy. It does. And mean. I, I can appreciate the Dean Prophet character because uh, if, if I didn't have my wife, my house would probably wind up like that with my kids being unruly and completely unmanageable. And so... I know. He's just saying that to be nice because he knows it's not true. <laughs> I'm much. I'm better, and my family's better but because he's of my wife. Some. <laughs> that that was the point. That was really what I was trying to accomplish. Christian, you love you love uh, romantic movies, don't you? Yes, I love all romantic movies. As long as there's a happy ending, you're in. I am. Even if even if at the end I'm like that was one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen, I still like it because it was romantic. <laughs> and what does it do to you? <laughs> Oh, we don't want to Keep that to yourself. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. It makes her horny. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter. I, I won't watch them, but I'll come in in the last uh, oh, 10 or so minutes because that's that's kind of her uh, her porn. <laughs> All right. Let's go around. Lacey, what's your final review of Overboard? I didn't like it. I didn't like it. It was yeah. terrible. Did you watch? Did you see it when it came out, or right around the time it came out? No, I saw it for the first time when we watched it for these reviews. And were you able to get this through? review? This review. <laughs> this review. What? And were you able to get through it in one sitting? No. Oh no, absolutely not. It took about three nights because I was so it, tired. We watched it's Overboard. Long. It's very what? long. It's too long. Too long for yeah, me. Oh, we watched Overboard Part One, Part Two, and mm-hmm. Part Three. Yes. Yes. No, I didn't like it. I didn't think it. I thought it was cheesy. I thought it was unrealistic. Now, do, now, in, in defense of Overboard, do you generally like romantic? No, comedies? I absolutely. Is there any romantic comedies you do like? Uh, yeah. Which one? Casino. Casino. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the one I liked? Oh, Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally. Yes, I like that one. That's a good one. I like that one. Is it because you you can uh, you feel a kinship with Meg Ryan because you also fake orgasms? No. Well, you know. That's between me and Patrick. Actually, it's between me. But <laughs> oh, that's funny. Kristen, how about you? What's your review on Overboard? I am appalled that Lacey doesn't like it. I absolutely love it, and I'll probably watch it another 50 times in my life. <laughs> and, and we do own it, thanks to uh, Patrick and Christmas. Oh, and thanks. And my, like I said, my kids love it. We, we even have it taped on our DVR right now, too, which I guess I can delete since we own it. But, yeah, I like it. All right, Patrick? Um, I liked it back in the 80s, but I, I'll freely admit that it was just it was just on HBO, and I watched almost anything that came on HBO repeatedly. I like Kurt Russell. I like Goldie Hawn. I generally like a lot of their films. I don't think this stands the test of time, and I don't enjoy the film anymore. It's it's a film that you if you watch once, you kind of forget about. Don't give it a lot of deep thought. But you know now sitting here and watching it, 
the story just seems really weak, far fetched, unbelievable. I know Kristen will say, "Well, but it's a movie. It's it's, <laughs> it's fiction. It's fiction." But even in fiction, it just you, you, I can suspend disbelief. But if you're going to put it in a real world situation, it just seems, you know, I I can't imagine that a cold, hard ass bitch like Goldie Hawn is at the beginning would suddenly go, "Oh, okay, you made me do all this work. You made me your slave. Um, you've actually even slept with me, and now I'm going back to my money." And she's not going to have his ass thrown in jail. Just it's hard for me to believe that she would do she would do something like that. Yeah, I know. The other it's fiction. <laughs> Um, you know, The Thing, <laughs> The Shining. Okay, but The Thing is a science fiction. Well, yeah, but The Thing is a science fiction film, and it, because it's a science fiction film, I can make that. This is this didn't take place in space or anything like that. They put this in a situation where they... Good point, good point. They, they put it in a real-world situation, and they want it to be realist, realistic, and... You know, it's it's not Transformers where I have to believe cars can turn into robots. It's it's something that it's it's grounded in reality. And if you're going to ground it in reality, I think you got to have reality all the way through. Otherwise, it's inconsistent. I uh, there was a, gr- a pretty a pretty funny robot chicken episode about this where he is he is tried and convicted of uh, rape and fraud. So is there a robot chicken on Overboard? <laughs> I absolutely loved it uh, when it came out. Uh, watched it a, a, a ton of times. I I am. St- do find the flaws with the story, and, and I really, really hate the the sex scene, um, and kind of a lot of things that, that Patrick talked about. But I hate to say this, I still find myself laughing at it and and liking it, and I guess maybe for nostalgia uh, purposes. But the two characters, the two actors, rather kind of overcome that for me, and I still think it's. Okay. Matt's the best. Uh, all right, baby. We're never going seeing going seeing um, films with Matt and Kristen. Oh anymore. no, no, absolutely not. No. You might want to see our film after, though. No. You keep that to yourself. <laughs> That'll be on the website. That'll, That'll be, be WWO lunchtime movie review. Matt and Kristen sex tape. <laughs> Check out our Facebook page. It's lunchtime movie review. Uh, we're also on. You can follow us on Twitter at lunchtime movie. And check, keep checking out the webpage for blogs and videos and news and all types of uh, deleted scenes and clips from uh, a lot of the movies that we review. And that's lunchtimemoviereview.com. Keep listening. We're getting out of here right now, and you guys are invited. Happy Valentine's Day. People change as time goes by. Others come between I'll love you till the day I die Cause there's something special about you and me Something special about all of This podcast is not endorsed by MGM Home Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Overboard, all names and sounds of overboard characters, and any other overboard-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of MGM Home Entertainment or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.